Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I talk to various people about the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule, four things that they cherish and would like to preserve, and one that they would like to bury and never have to think about again. My guest this week is Stephen Fry. We recorded this episode remotely, for obvious reasons. I mean, have you seen the price of train fares these days? No, obviously it was because of the need to self-isolate. Something that has brought us all together, ironically. Stephen was in his house in Norfolk and I was at my home in Tunbridge Wells. So I'd like to thank Zoom and everyone who's keeping the internet going. I started by asking Stephen what his first item to go into the time capsule was. And this is our conversation. I hope you enjoyed. start with a very simple and obvious thing, I suppose, because it opens up into a whole world. And that was, it's my grandfather's wind-up um, gramophone record, uh, <laughs> record player, gramophone, I mean. Um, it, I, I discovered it in, in the attic um, and worked out how to use it with my brother. And there was a huge collection of these 78 records, these hard 78s. And um, for, the, for your listeners who are pretty uh, young, probably might not have ever used a wind-up gramophone, but it's very simple. It's, um, it's not even electric. It, you, you, crank, you hand crank it and you put on the record and the needle is, it's like a, I mean, it's a thick sort of needle that you can hold and you shove it into this arm that has a membrane or it connects all the way up to the famous you know big horn that comes out mm. and 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 it it makes a sound and it's music 
Um, the reason it was so wonderful is the collection of records was full of things I didn't know. It was a great mixture. There was classical music, things very obvious, things like the Blue Danube. And there was um, sort of jazz and swing. There was Frank, early Frank Sinatra singing Old Man River. And do you know there's a line of Robert Browning's, I thought, I think it's in Pippa Passes, which is, uh, can we ever hope to recapture that first fine, careless rapture? <laughs> and you never can. You never can. No. And the fact is, I then, at the age of 11, listening to the Blue Danube or the um, Overture to the Barber of Seville by Rossini or whatever it might have been, or, or the Ride of the Valkyries, lying on my back, wriggling with an absolute transcendent joy at the music that was coming out with a hiss and a crackle and a jump um, in, in a quality that we would now just regard as simply unacceptable. And you could pay hundreds of thousands for a system with giant speakers and the most amazing amplifiers and technology behind it. And I would never have that feeling that the music gives you. It's, the, it's like first love. So it's that it's that knowledge that is a sad knowledge that you can never go back and, and experience quite that intensity of joy that you have as a young adolescent. Um, but you have to recognize that that is part of growing up, is that mm. you know, you'll always enjoy the music, and I'll still get great, great joy from all kinds of music, but that absolute feeling of, it's hard to explain. Well, I don't need to explain because I think it's common to all of us. And I'm sure yes. everybody can understand what I'm saying. Did the player have a horn or, or was it one of those box ones? It, it was a box one. It was a sort of portable one. It was, um, uh. it was yay big. Yay being, um, uh, I should think, about 18 inches by 18. And it looked like mm. a little small valise, a small little suitcase. And you opened yes. it up and, and the arm came up. It was all beautiful. And, oh, goodness. And I've since, um, you know, I bought one at a... Car boot sale or something, and uh, yeah, you know, and it, it is a charming thing. It's now just an object. It's a, it's. But then it was everything to me, absolutely everything. Mm. Well, I I had one for a while, which was a was a cabinet, and the great thing about it was that it was very. They're always very loud, aren't they? They play incredibly loudly. Yes. But then you could open the doors of the cabinet, and it had a speaker down below, so it became incredibly loud. And on a number of occasions, I remember I had a copy of uh, Judy Garland singing the trolley song. Oh, how glorious. Yeah, that's it. It is glorious. That's so good. And, uh, and it, it would bring me to tears because it was so, uh, the, the sound was so of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, goodness me. I mean, it's, uh, music is, I mean, you know, the, anything you say about it has been said before and is, of course, true, but it's, um, I, I, I find music uh, a profound part of my life. And mm. uh, I, 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 I sometimes think it is more important to me than almost anything else there is. And yet I have almost zero talent at it. I can't sing. I can't. <laughs> I fiddle on the piano so badly. I mean, compared to friends. I mean, my friend Hugh Laurie. We all know people who are very musical. And it's like when I was 10 years old and I couldn't swim. I was a very late swimmer. And I remember mm. at school, uh, you, you had to wear red swimming trunks if you were a non-swimmer. Uh. And all the swimmers wore blue swimming trunks. And I felt so... And I would watch people s swimming, the other boys swimming. And it was like watching a 
birds flying. I just thought if I could do that, I would be the happiest person in the world. It would be like flying. And I always feel like that when I see people performing music. I think, how come I just can't do that? It's mm. so frustrating. And yet the pleasure of listening to it and um, floating inside it and is something, um, something I'll never, never tire of. No. Chris Addison said to me that he spoke to a, a what are they called, a repateur. Repetiteur. Repetiteur. They're the people that play the piano for ballet dancers and opera. Exactly. And yeah. he, he watched this man work and he said to him, oh, I'd give anything to be able to play like you. And the man said to him, would you give six hours a day? It's <laughs> a brilliant. And uh, you say, ah, right, yes, no, I see. Of course, it's just a true. lot of hard work. Yeah, that's true. If you're if you're a repetiteur, a pianist, is true. If you're Ronnie O'Sullivan, it's you know, if you're a you know yes. anything you admire. I, I think it was Lee Trevino, the golfer, wasn't it? Who when he was he drove off the tee, and someone said to him, "God, you're lucky to have a swing like that." And he said, "Yeah, it's crazy. The more I practice, the luckier I get." Yeah, <laughs> and no one wants to hear it. We all know that that, that there is a secret to to success. Mm. Uh, all these books that uh, promise you uh, how to be a success, and uh, and and they all absolute bullshit, of course, because <laughs> the secret is you have to work incredibly hard at it. Yes, no, be really dedicated to it, and everyone wants to believe there's a shortcut, or that at least. A shortcut even to learning how to work hard, because I think that's the, the weird thing. Some people can focus and concentrate and lose themselves in effort. Uh, mm. And it almost seems easy, even though what we're talking about is effort. It's a peculiar paradox, isn't it? But, yeah, uh, do you think that's one of, the, um, one of the great benefits of a public school system, <laughs> that, if there are any? Do you think that, um, that actually that thing of being made to sit down and do prep Every day. In theory, I, it ought to be, but it wasn't for me. I was a disaster at, at public school and indeed was expelled regularly um, from different, <laughs> different establishments. And I never worked when I was at school. I, I, I mean, I, I was gifted and I suppose I still am with, with a, a very facile and um, uh, adept memory and ability to uh, to reproduce things that i hear without any effort and and a pastiching ability as well so that i could always write essays without having to think very hard mm. but i never did at school particularly at all i was i mean my reports were awful and i never worked <laughs> it was only after i was expelled and then after i went to prison and <laughs> the, yes. the, 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 that i finally decided that that i wanted to work mm. Uh, and that was the difference, wanting to do it. Yes. And I don't yeah. know why, something just clicked in my head. And I remember, for example, thinking, well, I have to go to university. And I was, I'd set my heart on Cambridge. And, um, and I, I'd been expelled from so many schools. And I was such a complete screw-up that there was no chance of me getting into, into any other new school. But I did actually apply to a city college who amazingly took me. But they didn't do Cambridge entrance, which you had to do in those days. So I, I studied on my own for that. And I remember reading through all the works of Shakespeare, all the plays and all the sonnets and, and the extended poems, and writing notes on them, which I still have, incredibly deep, complex notes. I, I read very slowly and very particularly all the way through every play until I knew them 
virtually backwards in terms of plot and character and everything about them. Um, notes on the sources. And, 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 uh, and then I started to do this with other poems and uh, other writers and, and with novels and things. It was mostly with literature because that's what I wanted to do at the university. Mm. Um, but it was extraordinary. I would, I would get up at six in the morning and just sit and do that for hours and hours after. I mean, it was incredible. And my younger self, because I would say 18 when I was doing, or 19 when I was doing that, and four years earlier, I would have been incapable of doing it. So I had to go yes. to prison in order to learn how to work. <laughs> it seems. It's yeah. not a recommended route, No, is no, only no. When, when lying prostrate, sobbing on the flags of the, of the jailhouse with the, with the shadows athwart my back and, 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 and rats <laughs> coming out of the straw and nibbling at my toes. Only then. <laughs> <laughs> there are still people who say that it is the route, that actually <laughs> all young people should have a, a spell inside or something to, to snap them into <laughs> action <laughs> instead of national service yes that's a, that's the idea isn't it oh god did so uh, were you very close to your grandfather did you did you I, I was he died when i was young he died when i was 10 so uh he was a remarkable man he was jewish hungarian jewish uh emigre from uh and he came in the 1930s to to britain uh which mm. is why i'm still alive because all his family unfortunately perished well the, the, there mm. were others who who managed to get away to new york or israel uh but the vast majority uh, perished in the holocaust and but he was a, he was a fabulous fabulous figure he spoke six languages and uh was just everything was really fantastic you know he had this <laughs> relish he cooked and he, he everything had to be the best you know so he had the most wonderful i mean he was a preposterous figure in some ways he, he did well for himself and he used to go shooting with uh, with uh, with you know the landed gentry in East Anglia, and uh, he had brand new tweeds and brand new leather, and you know, and he, he didn't quite get that aristocrats uh, don't do that; no. they, they have everything no. falling to pieces. And you know, so <laughs> I think he was rather a comic spectacle, but uh, uh, he didn't mind at all, and uh, he was greatly loved. And yes. one of those. My wife's family came over in the thirties. Did her, her, her father's father came over in the thirties yeah. from White Russia, as it was called. Yes. Uh, and the same thing. So all their family, everybody, everybody who stayed or went to other parts of Europe uh, were, were killed, it's murdered. I did that program, Who Do You Think You Are? And of course, mm. you know, it's, if, you are, if you have Jewish blood in you, then all roads will lead to Auschwitz. Yes. That's what happened. Yes. But it, it, it is extraordinary and it, it mustn't be forgotten. One of the most extraordinary people I saw, funnily enough, this wasn't doing Who Do You Think You Are? It was doing, um, I did a program on Richard Wagner, the composer uh, the, whose music I first heard on my grandfather's wind-up. Um, <laughs> and Jewish people tend to uh, deprecate Wagner. They don't like, you know, my mother would hear me playing his music as I got to mm. know it as a, 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 in my later teens and say, must you play that awful man? And of course he, you know, he was an anti-Semite. He was an appalling, monstrous man. Uh, mm. Hitler loved his music, which is also another way of tarnishing. Mind you, Hitler loved <laughs> Johann Strauss and um, Beethoven too, and it doesn't stop us loving Beethoven. But, um, and of course, Wagner was 50 years dead when Hitler came to power. But yes. nonetheless, uh, you know, there's a problem with listening to Wagner. And I made a documentary about that very problem. And, 
I went to see this remarkable woman called Anita Lasker-Walfisch, who was a 15-year-old girl who had been at uh, Auschwitz. Um, and she was in the the capella, as they call it, the, 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 the sort of orchestra, the little orchestra, in, in the, the women's orchestra with Rosa Mahler as the uh, conducting. And uh, wow. it was these, these Jewish girls. And she was a brilliant cellist, and that's what saved her life. And... And she did at least tell me put, uh, that uh, I said, you know, did you associate Wagner with the camps? She said, no, they, they never played Wagner. They played the uh, uh, marches, you know, and mm-hmm. Strauss and things like that. And, and we didn't play uh, Wagner. We didn't have the resources. We were just a small little band, a cappella, you know. Um, but uh, she told me a story that I will never forget. That uh, one day she was sitting on her bunk, as it were, you know, Delousing a friend, and a friend was picking lice from her scalp, and and the camp doctor came in and beckoned to her, curled a finger towards her, and she said, "You may have heard his name. It was Josef uh, Mengele." Oh my word! And uh, and so my bowels turned to water, and I didn't know what to think, and um, I followed him. He pointed to my instrument, my cello, and I followed him with my cello into his office, and he pointed into the corner. And so I understood that I was to play. So I, I played. I said, do, do, do you remember what you played? She said, yeah, I played, uh, I played Träumerei by, by Schumann. I said, well, that's so beautiful. I said, yes, yes. And I played. And, and, and what did he do? He was working. And I played more pieces, some Bach and other things. And then he dismissed me. And I said, did, did, did he thank you? <laughs> <laughs> he said, you poor child. He said, you, don't, you still don't understand. Do you thank your telephone when you've used it? Do you thank your washing uh, machine? Do you thank your computer mm. printer? We were not human beings. That's how they could do what they did. Yeah. We were not human beings. God. And you think a 15-year-old girl is playing sublime music on a cello, mm. and you're an educated man, uh, a doctor, but you can still regard that human being as just a subhuman and, and be quite happy about the fact that they're going to burn. It's Extraordinary. It's incredible. It, it's still Isn't a it just? mystery, an imponderable mystery. Yes. And a ter- it always is. That sort of ignorance is, uh, yeah. is, is always a mystery. There's a man in, in Tunbridge Wells. When you come here next, you must go to Moss Bros and buy a suit from a man called Ralph Williams. Uh, he's called Ralph Williams because when he joined the paratroopers in uh, in 1942, having come over as, as a 14-year-old on the uh, kinder transport, wow. they said, you should, uh, they told me, I don't think that uh, Finkelstein is a very good name to have in the paratroopers. <laughs> so I changed it to Ralph Williams. And then I said to them, they'll never guess I'm German now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's delicious. Amazing. Yeah, my grandfather was Neumann, and uh, he changed it to Newman. He said, oh, I took the final N, because, of course, Neumann has two Ns at the end. It's N-E-U-M-A-N-N. He said, I took the final N and turned it upside down and put it next to the U, so it became Newman. <laughs> All his friends who, who came, who, you know, who were emigrants like him, uh, had very English names. You know, that, that yes. was considered the... The, the way to do it in those days. Yes. In fact, the Fenton in my name is the English version of the Jewish name that, that my wife's family took. So I put the Fenton in. Is that where it is? That's where you're Fenton, Stevens. Oh, how And there are funny. a lot of, lot of, lot of Fentons who, oh, who are Jews. That's wonderful. Yes. 
That's yes. very pleasing. There we are. Oh. Well, we shall have that music playing yeah. hauntingly, well, <laughs> loudly. Let's just play it loudly yeah, exactly. in, in the time capsule for you. Yeah. And you can you can you can lift the lid anytime you like and hear it echoing mm. through the through mm. the halls of the time capsule for you. That's that's fabulous. So um, that's your first item. What's it, what's number two? Well, number two is more disgraceful, but it's a reminder of what a. I mean, it's a small and beautiful object, um, but it kind of sums up how pretentious and awful I was for so many years in my life. It's going to be a Dunhill lighter, cigarette lighter. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they were extraordinary objects. They made a beautiful style. A beautiful thing. Yeah, a little of enamel with gold uh, uh, in, in, in the sort of piping or gold edging. Um, and I had it for years and years. And I was a smoker. I was a very keen smoker, a proud smoker, almost angrily proud about smoking and furious at anybody who thought it was a bad thing and couldn't, you know, just couldn't bear the, the, uh, all these, you know, doctors and uh, anti-smokers and all these laws that started to come in. Um, <laughs> you know, I grew up, uh, you could smoke in cinemas and um, theatres and tube trains and buses. And, well, you know, you're the same generation. Mm. There was, it was everywhere. And you look back now and you realise that smoking is a very small blip in, in human uh, history. It, it, cigarettes, I mean, well, even if you go back, Obviously, you go back to pipes and Walter Raleigh, and there was a smoking of pipes amongst men only, and a few women, you know, the sort of Hogarth uh, uh, women in Gin Lane with the clay pipe and in Dickens and so on. And it wasn't really until the Duke of Wellington that uh, um, cigarillos uh, became fashionable because the Peninsular War and the Portuguese and Spanish had got them from the New World, this habit of uh, thin cigars, uh, cigarillos. Mm. But they still weren't cigarettes. <clears throat> it was really only the end of the 19th century. Oscar Wilde's generation had cigarettes, mm. and they made a great thing of it. it, it, it uh, Wilde was uh, uh, was a scandal when he he made a curtain speech after the great success of the uh, of uh, Lady Windermere's fan. He, he 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 appeared on on stage when they cried for author with a cigarette in his fingers. People thought that was outrageous. <laughs> it was very and and actually this idea that uh, Victorians smoked all the time uh, is not true. Um, there's a marvellous book by uh, E.F. Benson um, uh, uh, about his upbringing. His father was the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's E.F. Benson who wrote um, Map and Lucia. And it was a mm. splendid figure. And he, he knew Tennyson and Gladstone and all these extraordinary high Victorians. And he said that this idea that everybody smoked is nonsense. Uh, smoke was considered disgusting. But everybody did it. So they would have a room in which to do it and clothes in which to do it. And oh. they would wear a cap so that the smell of the smoke didn't affect their hair. And that's why you had a smoking cap and a smoking jacket. Yes, and a smoking room. That's right. So, so oh. the women would depart uh, to, 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 at the end of dinner and the men would go out of the dining room into the smoking room, put on the smoking jacket, smoke furiously, take it off. It was quite extraordinary reading this and I, I loved it. It was really fascinating. Mm. And then the, that was cigars and then the cigarette, which was a sign of decadence, appeared. Um, and it was really the First World War that changed it all. Uh, suddenly cigarettes were cheap and available and machines made them and 
everybody smoked. If you watch that uh, Peter Jackson, uh, you know, the the wonderful restoration of all that First World War, you know, they shall not grow old. Yes, extraordinary. And and everybody has a cigarette in their mouth. Absolutely everybody. So really it was from about 1910 maybe right up to through the 50s, 60s, 70s, which is only 60 or 70 years really. People smoked. It's about the same length of time that people use the telephone. Um, you know, it's, it, uh, people still do, but young people very rarely talk to each other on the phone. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a legacy device. And, you know, we, we, if you grow up in the middle of it, it seems the most natural thing in the world to speak on the telephone. I, uh, and, and for me, smoking. And fun enough, the two went together. <laughs> I couldn't answer the phone without immediately sparking up. It's weird. It's a, it's a trigger. <laughs> Strange kind of hardwired connection. And um, and the other reason for the, the choosing the Dunhill lighter is it, it's so typical of me. You know, all my friends were much cooler. They all had Zippos or matches, you know, but uh, or just throw away bics. But I had to have a bloody Dunhill lighter. Who did they go was? And 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 really, it started when I was uh, on the run. When it, when I was, you know, I'd stolen these credit cards, and I was I'd go to. Uh, Stay in grand hotels and uh, all these ridiculous clothes and stiff collars. And in those days, there were shops where you could buy really classy cigarettes. I mean, really extraordinary cigarettes. There was a shop called Sullivan Powell's in in the um, Burlington Arcade off Piccadilly, and mm. Sullivan Powell had their their own in beautiful maroon box with fabulous paper. They had their private stock was the name of their cigarette, or you could have your own made up. Uh, Morlands was another. Which uh, James Bond had Morlands with two gold rings round, which were made up for him. And there was another one on the Haymarket called Freiburg and Trier, uh, who was, uh, made cigarettes. And uh, these were the really extraordinary. And there were things like Sobrani cocktail for the very yes, the coloured the black ones. Colored, the that's right. And they were a mixture yeah, yeah. of Turkish and uh, Virginian tobacco. And I would have cigarette cases as well. Um, and you'd have Turkish on the left and uh, Virginia on the right. You'd offer them. People. So he took it on the left for dinner on the right. And they go, oh, he is grand, isn't he? And, and there were t- certain types of cigarette that were oval. Passing clouds was a, was a make of cigarette that was oval. And the reason it was oval was then you could have a, the really slim cigarette case, the one that was slightly curved so that it would fit yeah. into your inside pocket and it wouldn't ruin the, 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 the cut and line of your jacket. And mm. you could fit in all the cigarettes. It, it, I mean... So there was a huge amount of art and design went into smoking, but, you know, both yes. in the, the Dunhill lighters and these fabulous deco lucite objects, uh, uh, cigarette cases, and you know, the beautiful boxes and so on. You know, it was all. Was your lighter? Was it machine tools? Yes. It was yes. stunning. Beautiful. Yeah, lovely. With, 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 a, with a side. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, on the side. Yeah, beautiful. You just brush mm. it with your thumb and it would just give this lovely noise as the flint engaged. Yes. Oh, a heavenly thing. If, if only we could find another use for them. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've still got it somewhere and it would need servicing. But, of course, I gave up him when I, when, when I was 50. Uh, my 50th year coincided with the banning of smoking in public places in, in pubs and restaurants and everything. So it, it just seemed natural and it was pointless fighting it. And I do feel all the better for having given it up and I hate the smell of it and I can't believe I ever did it. And it was another me. Uh, yes. And that, that's the mystery of 
life, Mike, isn't it? Um, it yeah. the, the paradox of, of uh, you know, Theseus's ship. Do you, do you know the, 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 uh, the Theseus, the great Greek hero? Um, I, I'm going to bow to your knowledge. No, but he, slew theory, the minor, he, he slew the Minotaur. This is a, a post-mythic uh, paradox, the uh, uh, Theseus' ship. He slew the Minotaur, and supposedly, you know, and he became the founder king of Athens. All, all that. Anyway, the point is that it, at Piraeus, or whatever, the harbour of Athens, um, his ship was moored. And uh, it was a, people, after he died, it was a, people come and see it. This is Theseus' ship. And it lasted hundreds of years, thousands of years. It lasted into the classical period, into into the period of Plato and Aristotle and the great philosophers and all, all, all of these all of these figures. And yet, every part of it had been replaced because this plank had got rotten and a new uh. plank got in, and this bit of rigging had fallen, perished, and new rigging. And so there was not one part of it that was the original ship, mm. but it was the ship. And our bodies are the same. <laughs> Our yes. bodies, and therefore our minds, because our brains, every single atom of us is different mm. to the atoms of, ten, of 15 years ago, or, you know, I can't remember the exact length of time, but, you know, it's a known truth. It hardly needs to be repeated. We're aware of it. We know it. We, we slough every part of us in the way that a snake sloughs its skin. And, and yeah. so how can we say, are we like Theseus who shipped the same person, that person who smoked and that, that person who wriggled around with joy listening to that music? He's, he's long dead. Every part of him, every mm. single cell has been replaced. And yet, extraordinary. What, how do you how do you remember him? It's and yet, the memory has stayed. We, That's right. The memories and the yes. experiences have passed through into the new, the new cells and neurons that have, uh, and and that's a, a great mystery and and a rather wonderful one. Um, mm. Yeah. So so I, I will look uh, fondly uh, in my in my Fenton Stevens pouch of four lovely objects. I'll look fondly at the lighter because it will remind me of a dead me and yes. a me that would have died even earlier if I'd carried on smoking, <laughs> that's probably. very true. <laughs> so, it's still a beautiful object in itself, yeah, I think. that's right. Yes. Don't they now refer to uh, his ship as um, Trigger's Broom, <laughs> I think they say. Oh, Did yes. You, have you heard that? Same thing. Yes, that's right. Or of yeah, the, the Philosopher's Axe. And actually, P.G. Woodhouse's yes. typewriter. Oh, P.G. Really? Woodhouse bought a Royal typewriter in his uh, very, you know, in the early part of the 20th century. And he wrote on it right until uh, his death in the 70s. Um, uh, but every part of it, the platen and the roller and the keys and the chassis, were all replaced over the years. But, so it was a similar, a similar thing. And yes. that brings me on yes, to no, my next project, on. funnily enough. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back with Stephen Fry very soon. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for waiting. Okay, right. Let's find out what Stephen is going to put into the time capsule as his third item. It's a mint green, uh, so beautiful, mint green Hermes Ambassador typewriter, uh, a manual typewriter. Uh, They're beautiful objects. And I loved typing. I taught myself to type when I was in my teens again. And um, I used to amaze people with the speed with which I could type. Now, of course, no one being the least bit impressed because <laughs> I had no idea it would become this, uh, uh, this you know, common skill that everybody has. Um, mm. And I was always like, <laughs> like that because I just loved it. I, I, there was something about seeing the words appear on the paper with the bang, bang, bang of the, of the typewriter mm. that gave me enormous pleasure. So when I got to university, I had it uh, with me and, and I would type up my essays, which, um, again, people listening, students listening, would go, you, what? Oh, you just email them. What are you talking about? You email them to your <laughs> tutor. What do you, huh? and, uh, Well, no, originally what you'd do, with most people would do, would be they'd write an essay with, with a pen or a biro yes. on paper. On it, on, and, and they would leave it at their tutors or their you know, lecturers or you know, whatever they were called, their, you know, the person they were writing the essay for. They would leave them in their pigeonhole because that's things were, that's how communication was done. Things called pigeonholes, and you type them all. I would, I would write them in longhand and then type them up, and and I just enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the change from handwriting to, to to the to the sort of somehow official looking uh, uh, typescript that just made me feel that this was somehow meant to be. And occasionally, I'd ah get so annoyed because I'd have to correct something when I read it through again, Mm. and I would do it with a pen, or I think, well, should I? retype that whole page no that's just too <laughs> too too anal <laughs> but um and I then in my uh last year at university uh I started uh, collaborating with Hugh Laurie on writing comedy um Emma Thompson with whom I'd done plays and things int- int- had sort of he'd said he wanted to meet me he had met me briefly at uh, Edinburgh the, uh, the the year before when I'd written a play and um but uh, he had inherited this club called the Footlights Club, which is a comedy club at uh, Cambridge. And and uh, he was the president of it. And uh, he wanted people to, to write sketches, comedy with. And that was you know, what was it? Well, it was a review thing. Review, R-E-V-U-E, uh, mm. sort of cabaret-style comedy. And so Emma took me around to his rooms and we started writing together. And then I began to collate different sketches for reviews and things. And I would always type them up. And I've still got some. that I, I've got one frame that I wrote with uh, uh, Emma in mind. And Emma and I did, and uh, then did on television, and and uh, which I, I never would have guessed when I was writing it. But that typewriter saw me from my lowest ebb of starting to get to 
myself together, as I spoke about, you know, when I had left prison and decided that I wanted to, to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the way through university, right up until the early 80s. Strangely, when... I think I also have a file somewhere of, uh, of Footlights sketches typed up, but sadly not yours. Oh! <laughs> I think it may... My, my file was Martin Bergman. Oh yes, he was just before me. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And he he left it in he left it in the dressing room at the end of Edinburgh. And I thought, oh, that's <laughs> well, there was, there was useful. A, uh, there's a club room. Uh, there was a Footlights club room that we used to practice in, and on the walls were all the photographs of previous Footlighters: John Cleese and Peter Cook and Jonathan Miller and all these Clive James and Douglas Adams and all these extraordinary heroic figures. And I was just couldn't believe, uh, you know, that we would ever be worthy of. Uh, of, of touching the hem of their garments, as it were. Um, mm. but, and I, I discovered a, <laughs> a little book that was the Footlights um, May Week Review title suggestion book, because you're always trying to think of a title. And, uh, <laughs> and I saw one, uh, and I since checked with Eric Idle, and it was, it was he who had done it when he was an undergraduate. Uh, uh, it was the best title for a show. Of course, they didn't do it. It was Captain Fellatio Hornblower. <laughs> that, that should have been the title. Of the show. <laughs> that would have that would have dragged them in on tour, wouldn't it? It certainly would. It certainly would. <laughs> well, we we can't put um, Captain Fellatio in, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, we will put your Hermes Ambassador typewriter in soon. So, uh, so what's next? It's clever of me, not clever, but uh, fortuitous of me to have mentioned Douglas Adams actually, because he did become mm. a friend and. Uh, um, he and I both on the same day bought uh, in January 1984, uh, January the 25th, 1984, the first ever in Europe Apple Macintosh computers. They arrived. Wow. Uh, and to most people, there was a kind of, yeah, so what? That's not really a computer. It's a toy. It's got uh, a graphic user interface. Within, it, it, it was advertised with hello written on the screen in handwriting. Yes. Now, all computers up until then, without an exception, that is sort of proves the rule because it was an Apple computer called the Lisa. But all computers uh, until then were were black screens with uh, a kind of glowing neon writing. And mm. there was no mouse. Uh, there were no menus. You just typed commands and you got lists back of what was on your files and directories and so on. And here was this whole new way of doing it using a, an image or using an analog of, of, of a desktop top with a with a little waste paper bin and folders like folders you would have in an office and you could pull and push piece documents around and it was utterly extraordinary and people thought that it was a gimmick uh, but douglas and i were convinced it was the future and that it was exciting and that it was the way forward and we became thrilled with this so my first mac which was a 64k Memory, memory, sixty-four <laughs> k. I mean, you couldn't just unbelievable. <laughs> My saying hello is more than sixty-four k now that you've just yes. heard. I mean, that's, it's just preposterous yes. how little it was, and yet you could do so much with that because it forced programs to be unbelievably uh, accurate and uh, not to waste any single vital bit of memory uh, and by the end of the year there was a 128 version it had doubled in in in, in ram and, and and then slowly we you know, came color ones and, and then to, oh, many many years later uh, microsoft 
thought, oh, this does seem to be the future, and they produced something they called Windows, which was a pretty grotesque knockoff. But eh, that's fine. There's... They still seem to suffer slightly from the you know, command-alt-delete thing, the thing of having to use your keyboard. Yes, though, of course, people who use them like it very much and uh, because they, they're used to it, and, and I think that's partly... You know, and nowadays the the whole battle is over as to who. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's a graphical user interface. Everything's Windows and and pull down menus. Wimps, it used to be called Windows icon mice and pull down menus with W I M P S. Wimps, mm-hmm. um, and it's a it's a, a marvelous thing. And 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 of course, it cre- uh, in two thousand and ten, sadly, long after Douglas died, as you, as you know, he died mm-hmm. of a heart attack, very young, forty nine years old, and and. Um, uh, the iPad that came out in 2010 uh, was so like, really, Douglas's book, his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yes. was this a simple, yes. beautiful thing that could contain the world or the universe or the galaxy at least. And Absolutely, to have foreseen the, <coughs> the, the, the smartphone, really. Yeah. That's what Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is. I miss yeah, I mean, Douglas so much. He, he, he missed all, so, so many of these te- technological explosions, and, and I miss him the take he would have had on them. He would have had an insight mm. and a way of explaining them and a way of deflecting the, the worst aspects of them because there have been terrible aspects, of course. But, you know, he died in 2001, I think it was. And, 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 uh, oh, my good uh, Lord, is it that long ago? Yeah, and, and um, the iPhone itself didn't come out till 2007 and then the iPad in 2010. And yeah. because of my passion for these doodads and these toys it's a perfect example of being careful what you wish for because you know i really <laughs> did think they would change the world and they did but they didn't change it necessarily as happily as i had imagined they would i was very naive in how i thought uh, particularly the networking when that came in in the late 80s and the early 93 94 tim berners lee invented the world wide web and and mm. and i really thought this was it you know the Boundaries between people would melt away, uh, differences and misunderstandings would dissolve, uh, that the, the, the online presence of free museums, art galleries, libraries, cinemas, dance halls, meeting mm. places, assembly rooms, uh, people with f- tastes and uh, uh, passions and hobbies that uh, before had relied on grubbly, roneoed fanzines could could reach out and be in touch with each other. But instead, it seems to have, to an extent, in some places, yeah. it sort of reinforced bigotry. It absolutely so. reinforced all the worst aspects. It, it, it's a terrible shock that this should have been the outcome, and but it's probably foolish of me not to have foreseen it. I, I probably should have understood this was how the world was going to be, but it, it, it is depressing, uh, to say the Isn't least. It? Um, I mean, still, so, still, uh, so you you sort of want to go back to the Hermes typewriter? Yes, uh, it, almost. Of course, you can yes. never never do that. You can never put the genies of technology back in their bottles. You can never uninvent. Um, no. I mean, you know, certainly, uh, I still believe human beings are good and decent and kind. I, you know, as my one of my great literary heroes, P.G. Woodhouse, when when he lived in London in Norfolk Street in, in Mayfair, he he. Uh, he he would write letters. He had a big correspondence. He wrote every single day and was on his typewriter, on his royal typewriter. Indeed, he wrote me a letter when I was fourteen. I wrote to him. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he wrote. I've got, still got it in the signed photograph. Of course. Um, yes. And um, uh, but he he in London he he said that he always uh, would uh, fold up the letter, put it in the envelope, stamp it, and throw it out the window. 
because he <laughs> reasoned that the average person seeing a stamped addressed envelope lying on the pavement would pick it up and put it in the post box. And he claimed he never of had course. and never had a letter go missing. <laughs> I just thought, oh, short. Well, that's a, yeah. that's a, well, it's a beautiful test of humanity. Isn't it? I think. Just. Yeah, I mean, people, yes, people are fundamentally good, but they're also scared and anxious, and uh, especially as we're speaking mm. at the moment, full of dread and uh, doubt and worry yes. and so on. Yes. We won't go into that. But maybe hope, maybe sort of, uh, maybe this will be, uh, a, I don't know, the uh, way. Well, I, I, I wouldn't call it a slap on the wrist. The I mean, sunlight will make a compact to build a better well, world. I mean, uh, that's been said before, I know, and it's, um, it's a thing that everybody hopes for, but you do think that people may learn some lessons from it. Yeah. You know, you, which would be at, at the very least, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. listen. Uh, there we are. Yeah. Well, we should move on. We should put your, yeah. the very first Apple Mac computer in, Europe right. into the time capsule. So what's your final item? So we're going now to what I'm going to put into the, uh, uh, to be thrown away into the garbage pail, because that was four objects. Mm. And then my fifth object. And, and if I say, you'll immediately think, what? I'm going to say heaven. Now, but by that, I don't mean the, uh, the supposed divine place with the angels and the harps and the fluffy clouds. I mean the gay <laughs> disco of the, 19, the 1980s. <laughs> but it stands for all gay discos, and it stands for all discos, and it stands for dance. Because um, I've said this before, and I've, if people have heard it, then forgive me for repeating it, but I abominate and loathe and fear and dread and hate dance more than almost anything in the world. Um, <laughs> I cannot bear it. And I, I chose heaven because when I left university uh, in 1981, uh, it was the same year that something arrived. I arrived in London at the same year as the human immune, uh, immune virus, <laughs> the HIV, uh, uh, although it wasn't known at the time, AIDS, uh, of course. Mm. Uh, indeed, in those days, it wasn't even called AIDS in 1981. There was a rumor amongst my gay friends of this thing, a bathhouse flu at first. And no, it's worse than flu. It's a, like a cancer. No, it's worse than that. And then someone told me it was called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. Uh, and then the, the phrase AIDS stuck, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And I started to hear about friends getting ill and death mm. sentence. Um, but around, that was sort of more 82, 83, 84, and then further on. It was just rumors in 81. But I arrived in 81 as a, a gay person, quite happily out. And indeed, I had a partner, my lover from university, and we shared a flat in Chelsea together. And... Um, he liked to go to heaven and he would grab me and t take him to go. And, and I just couldn't. At the moment we went in, the noise, the <laughs> spectacle of people leaping up and down. And, 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 and I just wanted to be so far away from it. There was nothing about it. It was, it was just agony to me. I just, I can't tell, even thinking about it, I'm coming up in hives. Um, I can't dance. I don't know how to, I don't know what that dancing means. It was as if I missed a whole load of lessons that everyone else had about, what do you do? Which part of your body do you move? Do you swing your hips? Do your feet go up and down? Do they leave the ground? I mean, I would look at people doing it and think they're all different and it's all horrible. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, and the music, I mean, it's just all the ding, 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 ding music. And uh, I can understand why it gets into people's brains and sort of if they're drunk, enough or, 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 or you know this was before the rave culture so mdma wasn't a known thing but there was there was um cocaine and there was um uh, uh the poppers of the gay world were huge you know uh, for all kinds mm. of reasons which we won't go into but, 
without, and and I, I and I just I, but you know I drink a bit, but I still didn't want to dance. I and I just wanted to talk to people. And the other thing was, of course, I was never very cute. So you go into these places, and immediately anybody new going into a place like that, the eyes turn. And the, the eyes rake up and down and then turn away. And you think, oh, oh, oh I've been rejected. No. The I've come in. Everybody hates me. Nobody wants to speak to me. I'm, oh. And, you know, and, you know, the fact is, if I look back, I was probably wearing a Harry's tweed jacket and a tie. And, yes. you know, they probably thought, who is this? Is he an off-duty policeman? I don't know. But anyway, I just <laughs> loathed that world. It was called the scene in those days, the gay scene. Do you think it's the curse of being tall? I, partly that, I suppose. And just, I just, I don't know. I mean, all my life, I've never been sure whether I wanted to join in or, or whether I wanted to stand apart from the human race. You know what I mean? And I think this is a common thing. One is torn between wanting to to to, to be apart from uh, and and an equal and opposite pull of being a part of. And, mm -hmm. and I remember that at school. I would watch people playing rugby or cricket or joining in, you know, music and sharing records and things and thinking, I, I, I'm different. I, I don't like that sport. I don't like that. I, you know, I have my poetry. I have this. I'm, I'm an individual. I'm myself and I can't pay. And another part of me yearned to belong, to be part of the tribe. Mm. And, and I, and I think I've always... That's a very defensive thing as a teenager, though. That it is. You've, 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 it's to say I don't need people and I'm yeah. going to keep myself safe. I, I became a bird watcher because that was a solitary... Yeah. Uh, habit. Yeah. I mean, it meant that I could go out on my own, and I, I didn't want other people there because they were noisy. Yes, so I could, I could, <laughs> that's I, very good. I could just sit for hours and hours and hours on my own. Yeah, that makes sense. Nobody bothered me. I got that's so true, and and I I think I I was very the same, and, and and always have been, and I suppose always will be. But when it comes to dancing, and to this day, I I don't the last time I've ever been into a, anything that can call itself a disco. But you go to weddings, and they people insist on having a wooden floor of people dancing. And apart from anything else, even seeing other people dance makes me actually almost cry with embarrassment. I'm, I'm genuinely <laughs> embarrassed at the sight of them doing it, and I just want to cover my mouth and, and look away. And, and as for these television things, they have these dance things on ice and in all kinds of different... And I, I mean, I've never seen a whole... I've never seen more than 30 seconds because it's like an <laughs> shock of pain and distress. And yet, weirdly, I can watch Fred Astaire till the cows come out. I mean, that uh, door... Absolutely, but it's not the same. What he's doing no. is art, and it's beautiful. And I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm friends with Matthew Bourne, the choreographer, and I go and see his wonderful ballets sometimes, and they are fantastic. Mm. He did uh, the Red Shoes this year. It's just breathtaking. I'd sort of I'd sort of Life. agree with you about about discos and that sort of thing. They generally are full of people who can't dance, yeah. so that's perfectly understandable that you would look at it in horror. But I have a memory of of a a wedding disco, which of course usually are the worst, mm. but uh, but it's a very fond memory that my mother sat almost sort of cupping her ears the whole way through, thinking it's too loud, it's all young people's music, I don't like it at all. And then they started playing the hit from a few years ago, um, Get Get Lucky, or I think it's mm. called, Up All Night to Get Lucky. Oh, yes, yes. That one, yeah. do you know? Yeah. Yes, anyway. They started playing that song, and suddenly in the middle of this dance floor, my mother came in, basically doing the Lambeth walk, oh, you know, oh, and was just off. Oh, and she had so this, you know, and, and we just, we all, everybody stopped and looked and she just 
strutted her way up and down the, the oh. dance floor. And it had hit her somehow. That piece of music actually just affected her as if it was a proper yeah. song. And, of course, I know that it gives enormous pleasure and that it is about joining in and that, and that I've never been able to join in and let go. All my life, even when I'm, you know, even when I was a bit of a party animal, not at that sort of dancing party, but party animal is, of course, a, a euphemism for someone who drank too much and put things up his nose. Um, uh, <laughs> even then, people would say to me, I'd really like to see you drunk one day, Stephen. You know, I just want mm. to see you lose it. And I think, why do people insist on saying that? And I think it's because they always mistrusted my apparent control, the fact that I never did seem to get drunk and that I was always slightly distant. I, people, I can remember drunk people, always, to this day, drunk people said to me, oh, I, I really, you just, I want to get to the bottom of you, Stephen. There's, you know, you're always hiding, you're masked. You know, there's a mask, isn't there? And I think, well, I don't know. Is there? Probably. I, I, uh, well, it's strange enough. I, I would say the opposite. I really think you've always been. I've always I found you incredibly too. open. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, and and generous in it. The calls on your time must be endless. Yes. And so yeah. to be as generous with it as you are, I think, is an extraordinary thing. You should be very proud of it. Well, bless you. And uh, it's uh, there's so much to be incredibly grateful for, though. I mean, if my 15-year-old self, or even my student self, could possibly have a sense of of the doors that have been opened to me and the opportunities that I've had and the experiences that I've enjoyed, and uh, I, he, I would just... I don't know what I'd curl up and uh, and explode. I think it would, I would not mm. believe how fortunate I've been. And um, you know, on on the more serious note, that is hardly original, but that everyone's thinking of at the moment. Our generation has been lucky in that way too. Yes. Uh, I mean, almost every decade uh, of mine has been the decade to be. You know, when I was a boy, uh, you know, it was the period of exciting even things like breakfast cereals sugar puffs was invented the year i was born and there was ricicles and, and 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 tony and his frosties and that whole sort of child advertising thing because we were the generation that they, they could advertise to and then when we were teenagers it was there was rock and roll and pop and the top of the pops and we our consuming generation was the generation again and mm. then in when in our 20s and 30s in our 30s there was even a tv show called 30-something, which was about how cool it was to be in your 30s. And, and, and every decade, and life's peach, we have sucked the juice out of it like no other generation. And we are handing this dried-out husk to the generation below for, for, who, who can't barely expect to get a house or a future. No. And now, after this coronavirus, in even bleaker landscape confronts them and uh, they have ransomed our lives our elderly lives because of this disease mm. and the, the price has been phenomenal and yes. um, i've heard it i've heard it argued that um, that in fact it's a price too high to pay yes, and in uh, fact it, we, sh we should be we should be paying back by by, by allowing you know, ourselves to, to 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 go and we'd also be releasing lots of housing stock uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> i suppose so. but it certainly as a thought experiment it's a very powerful thing to say that you know really you know and of course as in all these issues science fiction writers and others have got there first uh, do, do you remember a film called zardoz uh with sean connery i don't it's know. you know that uh, oh, I do, I that, do. That yes, period I know exactly of, uh, 
of early 70s uh, dystopia. So Sean Connery looking very strange. That's right. But essentially, uh, the elderly are, or if, on your 50th birthday, you uh, shuffled in along to, to die and you're given a pill. I think, I think it's a rather nice pill. So, I mean, you know, let's say now 70 is the new 50. Uh, I'm a few years away from that, but not that many, I suppose. Um, it'll give you a week with some really good quality heroin. Um, and <laughs> I thought you were going to say clarity. <laughs> and, then, and then an overdose on the last day. And, yes. and uh, The other film that uh, I remember as a teenager that, that actually made me think about these things for the first time was uh, Soylent Green. Yes, do remember that? I do remember yes. that one very well. Yes. Superb. Don't give away the ending. <laughs> no, no, no. That was for me the moment that I fell in love with classical music. It's strange oh, because actually the the euthanasia scene where they show right. and they played the pastoral. Yes, they do, don't they? Uh, funny, yes, yeah. and and of course, famously in two thousand and one, the use of classical music as always with Kubrick is superb, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Still, we meander. We yes, meander. We do. Sorry, everybody, um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, lovely to see you. And you, a delight. It's been an absolute joy. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Keep very well. And you, all the best. You have been listening to my time capsule with me, Mike Fenton Stevens, and my guest, Stephen Fry. This programme was produced and edited by John Fenton Stevens, and the music was by Pass the Peas Music. Please subscribe to this podcast on the Acast player or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at MyTCPod, where you'll find extra content and behind-the-scenes photos. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Fenton Stevens. My Time Capsule is a cast-off production. Thanks for listening. And I hope you can join me again next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.